I got to ask you guys a question. And so I need the boys and girls, I need you guys to listen very carefully this morning because I need you to answer and help me answer the questions, okay? So um, do you ever wonder why we sing the songs that we sing? Um, do you ever wonder, have, I don't know, do you ever wonder about why we spend so much time in church singing songs? Have you ever thought about that? Why we spend so much time every time we come together to sing, to, to, in church, we come and we, and we sing songs? Maybe I, I, maybe I have a solution. Maybe we could just quit singing songs in church and I could just preach longer, right? And I can fill up the time. Here you go, That's what I'm going to do. Maybe we could do that. See, actually, think about it. it think about it. If we, um, if, we did, if we just got rid of all of the songs in church, we could save so much time that maybe it would mean that we, could, uh, we, we wouldn't miss any more kickoffs of the Packer games, you know? I mean, that would be really great. Or, or, or maybe, uh, maybe it would let us get in the front line of the lunch buffet, you know? We can get to the head of the line and really get there quickly, you know? I don't know. Well, I know it would you know, be really good for us because we could save all of the money that we're paying to our song leader. You know? Doesn't he look happy? He's happy because, he's happy because of all the money he gets paid to, to lead singing every Sunday. Um, <laughs> well, actually, actually, there's some really good reasons why um, and actually, a really very simple answer why uh, we sing. And uh, so, boys and girls, I want you to listen really, really carefully today, because remember, uh, if you fill out your um, if you fill out your your paper and you bring it to me after the service, I'll have a special gift for you, um, and uh, we'll make sure that you that you get something special. Um, and the rest of you, sorry, you you guys all miss out. But there is a really, really simple answer to the question of why do we sing when we come to church? And uh, so I, I want you to understand this very, very simple answer is this. The Bible tells us to. The Bible says that we're supposed to sing when we come to church. And so that's what I want to look at this morning. Um, I want to preach two different messages today, and I've got it in the bulletin there, so you'll, you'll see what we're going to do. But I'm going to preach two different messages today. The first message that I want to preach is a very simple message about why we sing songs in church. And the second message is the beginning of our summer series. And I know it's not quite summer yet, or it doesn't feel that way, but it's close enough. And so we're going to start, uh, we're starting a new summer sermon series entitled 15 Hymns Every Christian Should Know. And some of the hymns that we're going to talk about are ones you probably already know. And some of the hymns are going to be new. Hymns that you don't know. And it will give you a chance to learn some new hymns. And uh, hopefully give you a chance to appreciate some that you already know. But I want you to listen very carefully. Boys and girls, I want you to listen very carefully too. Because I, want, I think it's important for us to know what God's Word says that we ought to do as a church, so that we can obey it. And so that we can obey what God says in this area of music and singing. And this first message, I just want to look at one verse in the book of Colossians, because this verse most clearly teaches us 
about how important music is for every Christian and for the church. So boys and girls, I want you to listen, okay? And uh, listen very carefully. I'm going to read this verse, and I want you to listen, because we're going to have some questions for you to answer about this verse, all right? Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now we probably should read verse 17 because this one kind of goes along with it too. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In this letter, and this is really important, in this letter that Paul is writing uh, to the church to the Christians in the church of the city of Colossae. He is telling them how they are supposed to keep themselves focused on Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And in chapter 3, in the third chapter of the book of Colossians, he's talking about how when we get saved, we become new creatures in Christ and everything about us begins to change. We put off sinful things like like anger and fighting and hatred and bad language and lying and selfishness and evil desires. And in place of all those things, we put on good things like love and kindness and humility and forgiveness and peace. And then we get to verse 16 of Colossians chapter 3. And Paul says that we're supposed to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And so I need you guys to help me. Boys and girls are going to have to stop for a second and you're going to have to help me answer this question. How do we let the word of Christ dwell in us? What do you think it means for us to let the word of Christ dwell in us? How do we do that? What does dwell mean anyways? It's a tough question. What does it mean to dwell? You ever heard that word before? Maybe? Yeah? Any of the adults want to help us out? To live. So if we say that we're supposed to let the Word of Christ dwell in us, what we're saying is that we're supposed to let the Word of Christ live in us. So boys and girls, maybe you can help me out with this. How do we let the Word of Christ live in us? What's one thing we can do to let the Word of Christ live in us? Callie? What about our hearts? Okay, anybody else? What is the Word of Christ? The Bible. Okay, it's God's Word. So how are we going to let God's Word live in us? Michael, what do we have to do? If we're going to let God's Word live in us, what's the first thing you think we have to do? We've got to read it. That's exactly right. We've got to read it. Okay? And if you guys are paying attention on your notes there, boys and girls, that's one of your blanks. This question, how do we let God's Word dwell in us? We've got to read it. Okay, that's important. Do you think that we can all read at least a little bit of God's Word every day? Do you think you, boys and girls, do you think you could even read a little bit of God's Word every day? 
Grace, do you think you could read a little bit of God's Word every day? Yeah, I think you could. What if you can't read? Lydia, can you read yet? No? So you can't read God's Word every day. So what do you do? How can you get God's Word every day if you can't read it? Yeah, maybe mommy or daddy could read it to you, huh? Yeah, mommy could teach you the wor- God's word at home. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's really good. And so we can read it to you. So that's important. We got to read it. But you know what? Is it enough just to read it? Is that all we're going to do? What else do we do? Okay. Well, we could pray, but praying doesn't really have anything to do with letting God's word dwell in us. There's another word, and this is one that's really, really important. This is a word the Bible talks about. It's meditate on it. Okay? Meditate on it. So think about that. What does meditate mean? That's a really tough one. What's meditate mean? Okay? That's not that hard, is it? I guess it's not as tough as I thought. Meditate on it. It means to think about it. It means to to constantly ponder it and to continue to, to, to worry over it. That's kind of the idea. Um, again, and maybe you've heard this before, but the word meditate, the way it's used in Scripture, is the same word that's used of cows chewing their cud. Okay. And the idea is that it's something you go back to multiple times. Okay. Well, it's, a very, it's a very appropriate picture. Think of a cow chewing its cud. It doesn't just chew it once and swallow it and it's done. If it did that, it wouldn't get it. It wouldn't get any of. It would hardly get any of the nutrients it needs. But in order for it to get the nutrients it needs, it has to continually chew it throughout the day, over and over, multiple times. That's the picture of meditating. So when we say we're going to read God's word and then we're going to meditate on it, it has the idea that we're going to go back to it over and over and over and over. We're going to think about it over, and it's going to be something we we worry over in our mind. Constantly thinking about it, constantly going back to it throughout the day, meditating on God's word. Now, here's another one, boys and girls. I know you do this next one. Okay, I know you do it because I know you do it in Sunday school. What do you do with God's word in Sunday school? Well, maybe you sing, but I know that every week when you come to Sunday school, you have a special verse. You memorize it. Okay, we memorize it. That's good. We memorize God's Word. That's a way that we let the Word of Christ dwell in us. By memorizing it. This is your next blank in your notes there, boys and girls. And you make sure you get it written out. Okay, we memorize it. So, it's important because memorizing it, of course, is, is good because we don't always have God's Word. We don't always have a Bible handy. But when we memorize God's Word, then we have it with us wherever we go. Okay. Uh, and we're able to, to use it. We're able to think about it. We're able to meditate on it, even when we don't have it right in front of us, because we've memorized it. We've learned what it says. Now, here's another one, boys and girls. This is really, really, really good, but this is really tough to do. The next one is we have to listen to it. We have to listen to it. You know that? We should pay attention every time that we hear God's Word. We should pay attention. We have to listen. You know, sometimes... Now I got to ask you, Michael. I got to ask you, boys and girls, is there is there ever a time when your mom and dad are talking to you and you're not listening? Does that ever happen? Yeah. Yeah. 
Let's see. I'll have to figure out how I want to ask this next question. Is there ever a time... Now I want to ask that. Is there ever a time when, you, when your dad's not listening and your mom is talking? But that probably... <laughs> we, don't need, we don't need to ask the question. We know, we know the answer to that question already. Um, <laughs> three of the kids are mine. I know exactly what they would say, too, so I'm on right there. But anyways... Um, so sometimes, well, you know, sometimes we're, people are talking, maybe your mom and dad is talking, or your teacher. Does that ever happen when you're at school and your teacher is talking and you're not listening? Does that ever happen? Never? Wow. Michael didn't answer. That was wise. He knows better. Um, of course. Of course. Sometimes, sometimes people talk and we don't listen. Right? Sometimes people say things and we just don't listen. But there's something that we should always listen to every time we hear it, and that's God's Word. Okay? That's part of what, we, what it means to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay? And then there's one more thing, boys and girls. See, is it enough for us just to hear it, just to read it, just to think about it? Is there something else that we have to do with God's Word? Something else we have to do. Is it enough just to hear it? Is it enough just to listen to it? Just to read it? Is there something else? Uh, We have to obey it. That's good. Okay, We have to obey it. And so when we talk about letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, that's what Paul says here in Colossians 3.16. If we're going to do that, that means we have to read it. We have to meditate on it. We have to memorize it. We have to listen to it and we have to obey it. Those are things we have to do with God's Word. It's very, very important. But you know, boys and girls, that's only the first part of that verse. The first part of the verse says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The second part of the verse says this, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, do you guys know what it means to teach? You guys all know what a teacher is, right? Okay. But what about an admonish? What about admonishing? That's a little bit tougher word, isn't it? Okay. In fact, I bet you if I asked the adults in here, some of the adults probably couldn't figure the answer out either. You think we should put them on the spot? Make them ask, make them answer it? Maybe ask your mom and dad, see what they say? Okay. Well, I know the answer. I looked it up this week, so I know. Okay. What does admonishing mean? Does anybody know what admonishing means? What's that? Okay. It has the idea of encouraging. That's one part of it. That's only one part. There's actually three parts to the, to the meaning of the word admonish. Okay, that's more like teaching, to instruct, to teach. Okay. All right, correction or warning. Right? Sometimes a warning when someone is doing something incorrect. And there's actually one other thing. It's, it's interesting. Um, the word admonish means to warn, it means to encourage, but it also means to stimulate. In other words, to make, some, make something move. To provoke. We've talked about that recently, haven't we? That's what admonish means. It means to, to stir up, to, to, to force someone to move. Okay? Every Christian here is supposed to teach and admonish. We're, we're all supposed to teach others We're supposed to warn others. We're supposed to encourage others. And we're supposed to get others moving. That's what we're all supposed to do. 
Now keep your finger there in Colossians 3, uh, 16 and just turn back a page to, or, or two to Colossians 1, if you will. Colossians 1 and verse 28, because this is interesting here. Paul is talking here about the ministry that he and Timothy have specifically toward the church there in Colossae. And he says in verse 28, Him we preach, that's Christ, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That word warning there is the exact same word for admonishing in 3 and verse 16. Paul says, listen, that he and Timothy have been teaching and admonishing the Christians in Colossae. And now he says that we are supposed to do the same exact thing. It isn't just the pastor. It isn't just the Sunday school teacher. It's not just the apostle or the evangelist or the missionary or whatever other kind of office of person you want to assign. Every person who's a part of the church has a responsibility to teach and admonish one another according to this verse. It's not just for a special class of people who hold certain offices in the church. Every Christian is called to teach and admonish. And who do we teach and admonish? And how can every person in the church be a teacher? Think about that, boys and girls. What if everybody here was a teacher? Could everybody here teach at the same time? Can we all just, everybody, okay, right now, everybody, I'll throw out a verse, everybody teach on it. Let's go. You think that's a good idea? If everybody's a teacher, then who's going to be the student? <laughs> but you have to be a teacher. Hmm. <laughs> a learning teacher. That's good. That's good. That's exactly right. You see, that's what this is saying, that, that we are teaching and admonishing one another so that we are teaching and being taught. We are admonishing and being admonished. At the same time, there is this back and forth within the church. That's what it says. But he goes on here. Boys and girls, this is important. Oh, yeah, this was it. We're supposed to warn. And we're supposed to encourage. I'm sorry. I got behind on my, on my uh, slides there. Okay. We're admonishing. But there's more than that, boys and girls, because the next part of the verse says that we're to admonish in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs. And so that means that we are to sing and make music. We are. We're to sing. We're to make music. Music that praises God. Music that gives thanks to Him for who He is and for what He has done. And so we sing psalms, like the ones that David wrote in the Old Testament. We sing hymns, like many of the songs in our hymnal. And we sing spiritual songs like the choruses and gospel songs we sing every Sunday. When we use those kind of songs, we, sing, we teach the truth of God's Word to everyone who hears us. You see, this is what Paul is saying. That we all sing, we all make music, and that is part of how we teach and admonish one another. Now, uh, for, for the adults, at the end of the service, if you're interested in maybe looking at some of this stuff in a little bit more detail, um, on the table in the back, right in the corner next to where Albert is sitting, there's a stack of papers. Okay? 
I call it going deeper into God's Word. And if you want more of my notes and the things that I studied out this week, they're on that paper. And you can take a copy with you, read it, and go into this a little bit deeper. Because I look at these three terms a little bit in there and kind of track down a little bit of the meaning of it. But there is one central idea to psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's really important. Boys and girls, look up here. There's one central idea to this. What are we supposed to do when we come to church? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to sing. We're supposed to sing. And that's what he says. This doesn't mean that we come to church and we sit in the pew while somebody else sings. Sorry, it's not a concert of Greg singing and Joy playing the piano. It's not. It's not like that. That's not what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a concert where there's a band up here or there's a choir up here or there's somebody singing up here and everybody else is listening and nobody's, nobody's participating in it. There's not, there's not a place for something like that. But that's not what should characterize our church services. It should be singing. Teaching and admonishing one another. Michael? It's enough. Teaching and admonishing one another. Singing, hymns, psalms, spiritual songs. That's what we do. So why do we sing when we have, why do we sing on Sundays when we come to church? Because God's Word says to. We're simply following Paul's instruction here. We, we sing songs. We sing songs that teach the truth about God. And when we sing those songs, we teach the truth to one another. You see, when we sing those songs, everyone who hears us and everyone who listens to us sing is encouraged. They're encouraged. They're admonished. Whether they're sad or lonely or angry or hurting, they're encouraged to turn to the God who has done great things for His people before and who will do great things in the future. We teach our children through these songs. We teach our children about God's greatness and His power, about His love and His compassion. We teach them about our salvation and about our great Savior. And they ought to be a part of every believer's life, both in your private devotion and in your public worship. Here's a question for you, and I don't know if you ever think about this, but when was the last time all alone... You broke into song. I mean, all alone. Nobody was around to hear you. Nobody was, you know, you just were all by yourself. Maybe you were reading the Word of God. Maybe you were thinking about the Word of God. Maybe just a song came to your mind and your heart. A hymn or a song that you know and love and you began to sing. And for some of us, well, some of us, I mean, I, I love to sing. I do this all the time. It just drives my kids crazy. I sing all the time. Levi always yells at me, Daddy, no, not you, it's them. And he was, when I would sing along with whatever's going on. And I would sing. But some of you, it would be like the furthest thing in the world for you ever to do to actually just start singing. Just, just sing all by yourself. No song leader up here telling you when to sing and what to sing. Just sing. Do you ever do that? When was the last time that you sang a song as a part of your private devotion to the Lord? Okay. This is why we sing here. But this should be a part of our life. 
There's one key ingredient, and I want to emphasize this before we're done. There's one key ingredient. It's the last part of this verse. Paul says that we're singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's the last part of verse 16 there. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What does that tell us? It tells us something about the key ingredient in our singing. Right? What's the key ingredient? It's our heart. You see. We are to sing what is already in our hearts. This means that when... We sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. We really know what it means to feel Jesus' love. And when we sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. We really believe that we're just a miserable person who deserves to be punished but that God showed grace to us and saved us from our wicked sin. There's a story about a music director who said to the young lady who was practicing to sing in church, Daughter, do you know that your Redeemer lives? She said, yes. And he continued, then sing it again. And this time, tell us about it. She did. And there were tears of joy and thanksgiving in every eye. Do we really sing what's in our hearts? How many times have you come to church and just just sung along without really thinking about what you're singing? Whether it was actually true in your heart and in your life. Paul has a solution to that. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You because You have given us this wonderful truth that we sing and we sing from our hearts. We sing and we praise and we give thanks and we glorify Your name because of who You are and what You have done. I pray You would help us in the remainder of this service to lift up our voices in praise, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. And that You would be pleased with it. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'd like to introduce to you the first hymn of our summer series, 15 Hymns Every Christian Should Know. Um, The first one that we're going to to look at was written by Isaac Watts, who coincidentally, well, it wasn't just coincidence, but wrote the hymn that we just sang, O God, Our Help in Ages Past. Isaac Watts is called the father of English hymns um, because it was his creative poetry which introduced hymns and other spiritual songs to the English-speaking church. Uh, Before... Before Watts began writing hymns, churches only sang psalms from the Old Testament. And Watts recognized and believed that we could sing more. That we could write our own praises to the Lord to sing. Watts was very gifted in writing poetry. In fact, when he was just a boy, um, at at seven years of age, he wrote uh, a very interesting poem. Let's see if this will... work here. Um, Maybe. There we go. 
Okay. At seven years of age, Watts wrote this poem. I am a vile, polluted lump of earth, so I've continued ever since my birth. Although Jehovah grace does daily give me, as sure this monster Satan will deceive me, come therefore, Lord, from Satan's claws, relieve me. Wash me in thy blood, O Christ, in grace divine impart. Then search and try the corners of my heart, that I in all things may be fit to do service to thee and sing thy praises too. Seven years of age. Do you notice anything interesting about that hymn or that psalm that he wrote? I see some of you looking at it. Not sure if you can see it. Let me help you out a little bit. Seven years of age. Okay. At seven years of age, he wrote that, that poem. Okay. This was the gift that Isaac Watts had as a poet. He loved the Lord. Even as a child, Isaac Watts loved the Lord. And he loved to write poetry. Watts was very faithful. Lydia, why don't you sit down, please? The first hymn that we sang this morning in our service is hymn number 32 in your hymnal. You might take your hymnal and open it up to hymn number 32. We began our service with this hymn, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. And this is the first of 15 hymns that every Christian should know. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad, and built the lofty skies. Watts wrote this hymn in 1715. It was published originally in a hymn book uh, called Divine Songs for Children. This is a children's hymn. You probably wouldn't recognize that because this is among probably some of the hymns we might consider the most adult kind of hymns. These are not hymns that we would think of as children's songs. We wouldn't put these in our Sunday school program and sing them with our kids usually because we would consider this hymn to be, I don't know, too serious maybe, not frivolous enough, not entertaining enough for children. But Watts wrote this hymn for children and published it in a hymnal, the first hymnal of its kind, just for children. It's a wonderful hymn for the first one in our series. I said in the first message this morning that, that we need to sing hymns to teach truth. And this hymn is a powerful way to teach several key truths about God Himself. <clears throat> in the original version, there were eight stanzas, each with four lines. In our hymnal, the first six of those eight have been combined to form three verses that we sing. The last two of Watts' original, um, were, original stanzas were dropped off. I'll share them with you in a bit. I have them. But it's interesting. Look at, the, look at the hymn. You've got your hymnal there. Just take a look at the verses there in your hymnal. That first verse. What do we see? Watts exalting here or declaring. The first thing we see is God's power, right? The mighty power of God, he says. It made the mountains rise, spread the flowing seas, and built the lofty skies. We see God's power in the mountains and the seas and the skies. 
And then go on to the next part of that verse. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command and the stars obey. Interestingly enough, the orderliness of the sun, the moon, and the stars shows God's wisdom. In verse 2, I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with His Word and then He pronounced them good. What do we see? The goodness of God is displayed. How? Because He provides abundantly for the creatures that He has made. And in the last part of verse 2, He says, Lord, how Thy wonders are displayed where'er I turn my eye. If I survey the ground I tread or gaze upon the sky, everywhere we look. Get this. Everywhere we look, we see the majesty of God, the wonder of God displayed. The sad thing is that for, for most of us, for many of us, by the time we become adults, we stop looking at it. We stop wondering about it. We lose much of the, much of the, the inquisitiveness of children. The wonder. I want to challenge you to remind you of that. You got, your, you got that remote there, Greg. I want to show you something challenge you to think about the wonder of God. Hopefully this will work. Did you ever wonder? Did you ever wonder? Did you ever wonder? I do. Did you ever wonder why the sun always rises, the stars never fall, why dry land is never satisfied by water, and why fire never says enough? I wonder, why can't I see the wind, but I can feel it? How the wind blows? Why the wind blows? Huh, huh. Did you ever wonder how an eagle floats through where ideas come from? from? Where babies come where from? Where people go when they die? Where heaven is? Did you know that my fingerprint is the only one like it in the entire world? My tongue, too. <laughs> Did you ever wonder how a hummingbird can fly up to 60 miles per hour and come up to an abrupt stop? Wings must at 70 beats per second. Crazy. Cool. Did you ever wonder why there are so many beautiful shades of skin? Why a lizard can grow a new tail? No way. No way. Here's one for you. In the time that it takes me to tell you this little known fact, 50,000 cells in your body will die down and be replaced with new ones. Did you ever wonder how a sneeze zooms out of your mouth at over 100 miles per hour? And how a mustard seed the size of a pinhead can grow into a very big tree? How a caterpillar can turn into a beautiful butterfly? If there's anything at the end of the galaxy, if there's anything outside of time, how it all starts, how it all stays, and where is it going? Did you ever wonder? Did you ever When you read Isaac Watts' hymn, I sing the mighty power of God. He sang it this morning. Did you picture the mountains rising up from the earth? 
Did you picture the seas in their great expanse being spread all over the earth? I just read a verse in the book of Proverbs yesterday that talked about God establishing the boundary of the seas so that they couldn't go any further. (laughs) Do you think about that? The, the, The lofty skies. I just watched a video the other day of this crazy man who took a a balloon ride way up to the very edge of the atmosphere, up into the very edge of space, and then skydived all the way back to Earth. Videotape the whole thing. Turn my stomach just looking at it. But incredible. Absolutely amazing. When you sing the hymn, do you think about it? Do you think about these incredible wonders? They're all around us. That's what Isaac Watts was presenting us with in poetic form. The power of God, the wisdom of God, the goodness of God, and the wonder, the majesty of God. Now, if you look at the third verse of that hymn, there's not a plant or flower below, but makes thy glories known. Do you ever look at the plants? Do you ever glance down at the flowers? Even the weeds? Kids love dandelions. We hate them. Kids love them. Because they're beautiful. The kids look at them, that bright yellow color, and the kids think that's beautiful. Clouds arise and tempests blow to drop hail on our cars and give us damage on our roof, right? No. Clouds arise and tempests blow by order from thy throne. Who's in control of that? Well, all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy care. Do you ever think about that? You're just borrowing life from God. Just borrowing life. And everywhere that man can be, anywhere, everywhere that man can be, God, you are present there, watch Seth. What a wonderful truth for us to think about for us to proclaim, for us to teach. The, the, last two, the last two stanzas of Watts' poem that he originally wrote are not included in our hymnal, but they, they, here's how they go. In heaven he shines with beams of love, his wrath in hell beneath. Tis on his earth I stand or move, and tis his air I breathe. His hand is my perpetual guard. He keeps me with His eye. Why should I then forget the Lord who is forever nigh? Those last two verses really reinforce the verse that ends our hymn, in our hymnal. There's three principles that are taught in these last verses. The first one is this, very simple. Even the simplest structures in the natural world proclaim God's glory. But because they're simple, at least in our way of thinking, we overlook them often. Even though the weather seems completely unpredictable to men, and just you know, watch the weather forecast on any given day, and you know that's true. We always hedge our bets. 30% chance of rain. That means 70% chance it won't rain, so either way, I'm okay. <clears throat> Rains or doesn't, I'm good. I said, you know, if it rains, I said, hey, 30% chance it might rain. If it doesn't rain, well, you know, only 30% chance. See, we, we, we just... <laughs> 
We just guessed, okay? We don't even know. I mean, you know, they, and I'm not, you know, use all their computer models and everything. What do we know? It's unpredictable. We can't predict it. We can't control it. But even the weather, as unpredictable as it seems, God controls it. God dictates it. That's why Jesus' miracle when he was in the boat and he spoke to the storm and stilled it is so important because it helps us to realize that Jesus is God. Because only God controls the weather. The Old Testament scriptures make that abundantly clear. Only God controls the weather. And then the third point here, that last verse, is that even though our life, even our life is borrowed from the Lord, but His hand holds us. And His hand and His presence never fails us. These are the truths These are the truths that Isaac Watts wrote into this hymn for us to sing, for us to teach, for us to admonish. He wrote this hymn so that we could teach this truth. He wrote this hymn so children could teach this truth. Your children can teach you this truth. The power, the wisdom, the goodness, and the majesty of God. But you know, it's not just because it's in a hymn. The hymn is nice, but we always have to ask the question, is it biblical? Is it based on Scripture? And clearly it is. So I would like to ask you to turn to 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29. And I want to ask this question, boys and girls, you've got to listen. Here's this very important question. What does God own? Well, don't answer it yet. We're going to see because David in 1 Chronicles 29 is going to answer this question for us. And this, this passage of Scripture... Runs, and I, I think, very, very closely parallel to Isaac Watts' hymn. These are the truths that Isaac Watts is proclaiming in this hymn. The question is, what does God own? First Chronicles 29, beginning in verse 15, we're kind of jumping in. Okay, that's not right. <clears throat> oh yeah, I'm sorry. Not 15, 10. I wrote that down wrong. No wonder. Okay. Don't go to verse 15. Verse 10. <laughs> David here is praying. Therefore, David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord. Listen, boys and girls, listen to this. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you. 
And of your own we have given you, for we are aliens and pilgrims before you as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. What things belong to God? What are they? There's five things here in the very opening part of David's prayer that he says belong to God. What are they? The first one, he says, is the greatness. He says, Lord, there in verse, uh, uh, verse 11, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. And the power. And the glory. Uh-oh. And the victory. And the majesty. He says, these things belong to you. The greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty. Well, that's good. If all of these things belong to him, if in fact, as Nikita said, if everything belongs to him, if he owns it all and he rules it all, then it's right for us to praise him, isn't it? More than that, if he owns all of it, then everything we have comes from him. Then we don't really own anything, do we? We just manage the thing that he's given us. When someone takes care of, of something that belongs to someone else, we call him a steward. And these verses teach us that we are God's stewards. Boys and girls, I want to ask you a question. We are God's stewards. Look up here for a second. We're God's stewards. That means that He has given us things and we're supposed to take care of them. Do you think that if someone's job is to take care of things for someone else, do you think that that there ever comes a time where the steward has to explain how he did, how he took care of everything, If he's in charge of it, Michael, look up here. If he's in charge of it, do you think there's ever a time where he has to explain how good he did, if he did a good job or not? Does he ever have to give an answer for it? If your mom or dad give you a job to do and tell you, hey, I want you to take out the trash, or I want you to clean up your room, or I want you to feed the dog or the cats, do they ever check to make sure you do it? They do, don't they? And what happens if you don't do it? They gave you a job to do. They said, hey, I want you to take care of this. I want you to pick up your room. I want you to, to take care of the cat. And you didn't do it. What happens? Yeah, you get in trouble. And they'll make you do it. Maybe, you know, maybe you get grounded or maybe you get, uh, you know, go to bed with no dessert or something horrible like that. Right? See, we have to give account. We have to answer. So when we're told, when our parents tell us that we have to do something, if we don't do it, they'll follow up and make sure we, that we do it. Well, the same thing is true of God. If God has given us responsibility, if he's let us borrow things that belong to him, then someday we have to give account to him and answer to him for how we have used what he has given. Everything belongs to him. All of it. I think this was the second question I had up here. How much of this stuff does God own? 
How much of the glory, how much of the greatness, how much of the power, how much of the victory, how much of the majesty, how much of it do you think God owns? All of it. That's right. He owns all of it. That that means how much glory is left for us. (laughs) Right, Right there. How much victory is left for us. How much majesty is left for us? How much power is left for us? Yeah. None. God owns it all. We don't own any of that. That's really important. Because it helps us to remember that He is the one who deserves our praise. He's the one we should praise. He's the one that we should sing praises to. David shows us how we can respond to Him. It's very simple, and and this is not a a profound thing. This is a very simple thought here. But I think it's the thought that's contained in Isaac Watts' hymn, but it's also the thought that's contained in this passage, in this prayer of David, that we give thanks to Him because He's our God. We give thanks to Him because He's our God. Twice in this prayer, David says this. Verse 10, you can see it. He says, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father. And then again, in verse 13, he says, Now therefore, our God, we thank you. There's a personal nature to the relationship between God and His people. You see, David is, is, is offering a prayer of thanksgiving. And we, at times, appropriately pray and sing thanksgiving and praise to God. Why? Well, we praise God and we thank God because he, it, all the glory is His, all the greatness is His, all the power is His, all the majesty is His, all the victory is His. We praise Him for that because all those things belong to Him, and rightly so. But how much... How motivated are we? What is our motivation to praise and thank someone who is so much greater than us? Is it fear? It might be. I mean, if He really is all-powerful, if all of the majesty and glory belongs to Him really and we don't get any of it, then maybe that's a fearful thing. So we praise Him because if we don't, boy, it just kind of makes sense. He's so much greater than us. Maybe it's self-preservation. The reality is there's something else here. That's what David is getting at, I think. David is acknowledging that there's a personal relationship. He says, you're our God. Our Father. So we praise you. We thank you. Yes, we thank you because of your greatness and your majesty and your power. But not just for those things. You see, we thank God and we praise God because even though He is all-powerful and almighty and all-wise, He's our God. We know Him and He knows us. And we have relationship with Him. We have fellowship with Him. And so we sing songs to praise God. Not just because of His greatness. Not just because He's greater than we are, though He is. We don't praise Him 
to give him anything. He doesn't need our praise. Do you realize that? God doesn't need us to praise him. Did you know that the Bible in, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, it tells us that there are angels that fly around the throne of God and for in 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, they sing and sing praise to God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. That's what they sing all, the, all day, all the time. They never get tired. They never stop. He doesn't need our praise. He has praise. He doesn't need our praise. Nothing that we have and nothing that we can give is something He needs. You understand that? God is so much greater. He doesn't need it. That's not why we praise Him. We don't praise Him because of His need that somehow if we didn't praise Him, He would be without. We praise Him because He has given us the privilege of being His servants. He's given us the privilege Really, more than His servants, He's given us the privilege of being His children. Okay. And so we praise Him because He's our Father. Because we know Him. You know, it's kind of like the gifts that a young child gives to their parents. Some of you maybe have received gifts from your young children in the past. Are those gifts inherently valuable? Are they expensive things that your little children give you? No. Is there anything in that, in that I don't you know, maybe it's a, a drawing or some sort of a craft or, you know, whatever. You know, they made something out of popsicle sticks or, you know, macaroni. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Whatever it is. Is there anything in that that's inherently valuable? No. And yet we receive it gladly. With joy. Why? Because it's an expression of our child's love. And their thanksgiving for us. Does God need our praise and our prayer? Our thanksgiving? No. No. In fact, to Him, our songs of praise, you know, probably comparatively like, you know, your child making you a little noodle necklace or something. Okay. Whatever it is, right? It's not something grand. It's simple. But it's received with love because of the relationship, right? So yes, God is great. Yes, God is awesome. But that's what, that's what we sing, not just because God is great, not just because He's awesome, but because He's our God. He's our Father. We know Him and we love Him. This begs one question, and I'm almost finished. I want you to think about this question now. Boys and girls, you need to listen, because this is an important question for you to hear and for you to think about. Michael, put that down. We need to think about this question. We give thanks to God because He is our God. But here's the question. Is He your God? See, this is the question that it begs. Is He your God? Are you really His child? That's first and foremost. David could sing this and pray this. We should sing and pray this, but that's a very real question that we have to address. Michael, give that to her right now. That's a very real question we have to address. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? 
and been adopted into God's family as His child? That's the question we have to face. First, do we belong to Him? Can we sing praises to our God? To our Father? If you haven't been saved by the grace of God in Christ, if you've never become a child of God, then I want to encourage you today to admit that you are a sinner who deserves God's judgment and believe that Jesus died for your sins so that you could be forgiven and receive Christ today as your Savior and your Lord. Then He will truly be your God. You will truly be His child. And when you sing songs of praise, it won't be just because God is so great. Yeah, we'll praise His greatness. But it will be because He's your God. That relationship will be there. Will you trust Him today? Maybe there's something else that's weighing on your heart and you'd like for me to pray for you today. I'd like to invite you. We're going to, in just a few minutes here, we'll have our offering. I'd like to invite you to take the, the communication card that's in your bulletin. Take it out and fill out, fill out that card. Maybe there's a space in the back there for you to put a prayer request. Something maybe that's weighing on your heart. Maybe you need to trust Christ and you want to write that and I'd be glad to pray for you and talk to you if you want to. Maybe there's some other request. Some other needs that you have. Something I can do to help you. I'd like to ask everyone to fill out the card. So we can accurately minister to you this week. And I'd like to ask you if you have a need to share it so we can pray for you. We began our service this morning by singing this wonderful hymn of praise to God for His almighty power, for His wonderful love. Maybe when we sang at the beginning of the service, you didn't really think too much about this hymn. Maybe you didn't really pay attention to it. Maybe it's just so familiar. Maybe you had other things on your mind as the service got started and you just didn't really think through it too well. Too carefully. I want to give you another chance to sing this hymn, to truly exalt and magnify the Lord with me. With a song in our hearts to the one to whom belongs all greatness and power and glory and victory and majesty, who is nevertheless our Father and our God. Let's sing the mighty power of God.